coming to you from various places around the world. This is the Global Exhibitor Podcast, the podcast designed to help exhibitors succeed internationally. I certainly hope and pray that we are building better roles to help humanity in terms of education and healthcare and environment uh, is, is a great medium to help increase the awareness for the world. Your host for the Global Exhibitor Podcast is Jeff Hanna, a designer, entrepreneur, business strategist, industry thought leader, and student of world cultures based in the United States. Well, hi, everybody. This is Jeff Hanna, your host for the Global Exhibitor Podcast, and I'm excited today to be with someone that I've known for a number of years, Mr. Mazi Farzim. Your full name is? Maziar. Maziar, yes. but he goes by Mazi. And he's the president and CEO of Enhanced Digital based in Los Angeles, California. Um, he lives in Hollywood, knows a lot of famous people. It's kind of cool, but, you know, he doesn't really wear that on his sleeve. But anyway, he does. He's trying to be a modest. But anyway, I've been looking forward to interviewing uh, you on the show. Thank you. Enhanced Digital does a lot of digital engagements and interactive kind of things. We've worked with you in the past and we're going to talk about that thank more you. in a minute. But Mozzie, I'm looking forward to talking to you and thank you for being on the show today. I appreciate it, Jeff. It's an honor to be here and I appreciate the opportunity and thank you for making the time for me. All right. Well, let's get into the discussion. I have known you for a number of years now, That's and right. uh, you know it's kind of like peeling an onion, <laughs> I guess, uh, as as you get to know each other. And I learned different things about you, and you have a fascinating background. Thank you. Uh, you're from the Middle East, and you really you're an American. You've lived here for many years. You're based in L.A. You have done like 200 shows or more over the last number of years all over the world, right? Yeah. Where are some of the favorite places you like doing shows? That's a great question. Oh my gosh. Oh, so many good places come to mind. Uh, one recent one is an easy low hanging fruit because we were just having a conversation with a colleague is Barcelona, Spain. Oh yeah. So Mobile World Congress as some of, uh, as you may know, is, yeah. is a huge international, you know, annual event there in Barcelona yeah, uh, for the telecommunication show. industry. Yeah. So that's been just because the city is wonderful, there's so much, it's a heritage center for incredible, you know, architectural as True. well as, you know, just incredible food, incredible people. Uh, so it's, a, it's just an amazing environment to have that trade show. Uh, certainly the other ones that come to mind is Dubai, uh, Dubai yeah. Air Show. Um, oh yeah, um, that's a good one. Yeah, it's a really, yeah. really a great city, very cosmopolitan, as well as uh, Arab Health is another yeah. one that's a big one that happens in Dubai. Uh, Frankfurt Auto Show, so I'm just trying oh. to give you a cross-section yeah. of different industries, right? That's true, man. quite <laughs> different though, true. Yeah, and I haven't been to Geneva Auto Show, I would love to go to Geneva Auto Show. Frankfurt was really a special experience, I mean, I love automobiles, and, yeah. and it was a great setting in a, in a experiencing that, so yeah, those are a few things that come to mind just that's head. good. Well, when it comes to creating digital experiences, which is a lot of what you do, and we'll get into some of that a little bit more in a few yeah. minutes, hopefully, uh, and you can explain more about that. But as you're creating these experiences for brands at different shows, yes, how much does culture play into what you're doing as you develop those? Is it kind of like one size fits all from kind of a general perspective or do you try to really focus in on different cultural perspectives as you're creating these experiences whether it be you know some of the graphics or language that's used or any of that how does that play out it's a great question i think i'm gonna help answer this in sort of a multi-dimensional way i think one is uh the first thing comes to mind is 
that I think some universal or fundamental engagement and storytelling tools or techniques or approaches or mindset, it works internationally, right? I mean, it's for example, if you think about Disney, a, a Disney or a Pixar animation movie, when it even gets uh, localized in different languages for different cultures or with, you know, some minor edits and such that to be culturally sensitive and so on, it usually works really well, right? And it's very entertaining and, and exciting for huge cross-section of demographics. So I think one thing that works as a great model to try and emulate is the Disney way of storytelling. That's is emotional, it hits you in the heart, then it hits you in the mind, it engages you, it's highly visual, it's beautiful art, it's moving art and such. So I think one recommended way of thinking about it is is to look at it's like how can you tell stories that that is universally appealing and engaging, right? And I feel that uh, at the same time, you also have to wear your other hat, which is what are the cultural sensitivities? What are the things that might be important to different parts of the world? That we do our homework, essentially, right? That yeah. we know who's the audience, you know, and then what are we there to promote? What are, what's our story that we're trying to tell? What are we marketing? What's the engagement? Then, or at the same time, think about before we create any content, what are those sensitivities and those things that are important to them are? because. Translation or localization, just one dimension of it, right? Because we know mm -hmm. that, um, you know, that's always not end all be all. That's good. With the engagements that you create, do they tend to be used at multiple shows or are they introduced at one big show and then maybe used in multiple configurations or iterations of that definitely uh, designed to be used in multiple times uh, number of engagements and interactive experiences we've created is definitely been localized and used across the world uh, one comes to mind that we did it through a agency partner was uh, it was a traveling exhibit and it was really to educate and engage a young audience and families about careers in aeronautics and space and uh, so it was a very cool traveling museum experience. It started at the Smithsonian and had, I believe, like 16, 17 different bespoke, you know, engagements, in, you know, from build your own aircraft, like a video game, and you get to fly it. So you learn about all the aerodynamics of an aircraft from left to drag to weight to, to thrust and, and all the forces, but in a very simplified but fun way, and then see what the trades off are. And then you get to fly the planes that you build virtually. Uh, to um, how birds fly as a gesture-based game that you can play with family members and you have to flap your arms as you would flap the yeah. wings of a migratory bird group. Um, and this got translated, I believe, to 17 different languages, wow. localized, I should say, uh, and went to a number of different museums across the world. As a matter of fact, again, speaking of Dubai, went to Dubai Children's Museum. Uh, that was one of the ones that we attended while it was deployed. And uh, yeah, it was a big success. I mean, probably thousands of families went through those. And But again, the, the concept and the sort of universal approach was what we just talked about. The science, obviously, is science, so you can't really change that. Um, but localized, I should say, I always use the word translation, localization are two different things, right? And it was a big success. Yeah. So again, back to your question, which was, you know, whether it goes, you know, international or or if it's local to the continental United States, is the reusability is key, right? I think any piece of content we create, we typically think about that is not one and done, is how the, the client, the brand, the, the organization can get multiple 
uses or use cases and get great ROI. Yeah, right. That goes beyond the trade show and the exhibit. Uh, so that whether it's an app, whether it's an interactive uh, display or an immersive experience in AR, VR, XR, that content, we can use it in multiple or in different channels of distribution so a variety of audiences can enjoy it. Yeah. I want to take a step back just real quickly. You talked about the difference between translation and localization. Can you elaborate on that a little bit more? One perspective could be like, okay, I can type something in Google Translate, right? And get sped out like English to French or English to any other language, right? And the sort of the connotations and colloquialism, all those things that each language has those subtle differences, it's not a one-on-one. So our approach is actually get the locals to tell that story or think about it like a movie script, right? Like a movie script doesn't translate one-to-one to a dialogue that once the, the movie is translated, it's going to play even with subtitles under it, right? And even if you have friends who are bilingual or multilinguals, when they read the subtitles and listen to the English dialogue, they're like, that's not what you said or she said, right? Where the actor is or actresses. So, so I think, you know, that's a little bit of example of that. So I think we always, when it comes to digital media trade shows and events, we tend to make sure that we work with the customer or the client that are using their local team members to put that into the right context, particularly on technical and scientific subject matter, right? Where that, that adds a whole other level of complexity on how something gets localized. Yeah, I think that's really important because even if it's in graphic applications or whatever, too often things get misconstrued or it just doesn't make sense or there's a connotation behind the way something is translated yes. that doesn't come yes. across right. So we've run across that over the years exactly. doing international. So no, I agreed. Yes. Yeah. Uh, once I tell this story before, we we were using a color red in Japan once for a booth that I backlit this rice paper, which from an architectural perspective I think was really nice because it was this backlit uh, rice paper, sure. which was really cool. Very but the cool. color red I was using. The locals said, it looks like a house of love, so we don't want to use that color red, so we had to change it. <laughs> sure. But anyway, you right. learn the hard way sometimes. It's oh, like, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah, don't do that. Yes, definitely. Well, the company went bankrupt, not because of that, but anyway, <laughs> that's a separate thing. So let's go back to your comment you were starting to talk about. You know, metaverse is a big word these days, and particularly, yeah. you know, building immersive worlds. and. And, uh, and we can talk about that. You know, that's one of the areas that I'm very passionate about. And uh-huh. believe it or I've not. I've seen that. Yeah, yeah, thank you for saying that. And I don't know if I ever shared with you one of the first VR projects we did for Enhance was you know, our first VR project was in 1999, believe it or not, the first VR project I personally worked on, right? And technology has come up incredibly a long way. And I remember these headsets weighed like 15 pounds in your head. And this was like DARPA quality research, HMD or head mounted display for VR and had the highest resolution of its time, which was 800 by 200 pixel, which is, you know, for oh, audience, wow. yeah. is a postage size stamp video, right? And now we have 4K, 8K, etc. So anyway, so it was a state of the art. And from all the brands, we did it for TV Guide at Western Cable Show, which is, by the way, a, tra- a, a trade show that doesn't exist today. So TV Guide was migrating from paper-based. I don't know, some of the audience might not remember it was a paper-based. You buy yeah. it at the grocery store. Well, I remember store. it, but you a lot of people it. may yeah, not. Yeah, Jeff, you, you and I are here. You know, we're showing our, yeah. our, our, our age. Yeah. <laughs> but, but anyway, the, uh, you, know, the, uh, you know, you remember the magazine. You pick it yes. up in the grocery store, and, and you see what 
what show was playing on what channel uh, on the TV and uh, the timeline and the schedule, right? And uh, so this was the first foray into the digital because they were building a digital platform mm. very similar to like DirecTV or even precursoring to TiVo, you know, for the, yeah. as a DVR recording and so on. And anyhow, so this was a very fresh, very risky medium. I mean, truly experimental. I mean, sometimes we even evaluate whether we are today in our day is the right engagement approach for yeah. a trade show on the show floor, right? So anyway, so this was a huge leap of faith for them, which was an honor to work with with that team at the time. And uh, so getting back to reuses of immersive content is that even today, even though with um, Meta and all the different VR headset that are extremely robust and relatively inexpensive with like the Quest 2, I mean, for a sub, you know, $300 or $400 headset, you get incredible you know, experiences and you can now we can design content for it for a particular brand to really engage their audience in that world. Because, you know, you go to a trade show, you can't be in that Audi factory, for example, and see how those cars are made. Or you cannot be in a Boeing assembly line to see how these commercial airplanes are built. Or if it's something that's really small that you can't or inside. Exactly. For a healthcare client. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So it's a great medium. It's a great technology for those types of storytelling. Uh, but at the same time, we also thinking ahead that what if that person doesn't have a headset right. or they don't make it to the trade show? So how can we yeah. have the client have the ability to disseminate that content that we've created in different ways and really engage with their, with their audience in a multitude of ways? Yeah. And uh, so that's where we think about that same digital content is sort of created in layers that we can leverage it in an app. We can leverage it on their website. And Web3D is also getting much more robust and better yeah. to create some of these immersive uh, experiences. So I think multi-use is always on top of our mind to really give client a good bang for the buck, for lack of a better word. Yeah, that's good. Because these kind of things, at least on the level that you do it, is not... An- let's say an inexpensive venture, I would say. I mean, it's an investment, but yeah. it's well worth it, right? Yeah. Um, what are some of the most complicated or sophisticated kind of things you've done really unique that stand out in your mind over the years? As you were asking that, a couple of things came to mind. Um, one of my favorites was, again, uh, it's not a recent project, but we work with our partners at Access. We helped design together with them an immersive theater experience for a biotech brand. And, and it was not a you know, sexy concept in the sense of the subject matter. It was really about chronic kidney disorder, which is a you know, difficult patient story. And, uh, but you know, one of my favorite experiences at Disneyland was this uh, Kodak 360 immersive theater. I don't know if yeah, you ever I've been there. Been yeah. to it. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, and, it's cool. And so we essentially emulated that at a exhibit environment with, uh, and this was massive, like an eight foot ceiling, um, you know, kind of a cylindrical exhibit in design. Yeah. Created an edge blended projection system with eight different projectors that was mm-hmm. edge blended. Mm-hmm. And then the content that we created was this 3D journey, sort of a fantastic voyage to the human body, oh, yeah. which started from, you know, I mean, and hit all the areas that this disorder affects on a patient from the thyroid and parathyroid to the bone marrow, to the kidneys and the bloodstream. And so there was this incredible ever moving journey that went from a sort of a anatomically correct 3D visualized world down to the molecular cellular level that told that story. And it was really like almost like a museum or um, 
planetarium experience, for yeah. lack of a better word, because it was not narrated. So you come in and it was just ambient, beautiful imagery that constantly moved. And then below, imagine if this was playing on the top of the cylinder, yeah. below the cylinder where the visitors would come in, uh, we had these um, beautiful, transparent touch displays that we created, really taking some of their complex scientific subject matter and made it simple and understand, again, similar to a museum experience where um, their medical science liaisons to sort of a healthcare industry term or MSLs could talk to the physicians and clinicians that are healthcare providers that would come to the exhibit. And then in the center, what we did was we took some of the 3D models, those anatomical models that we had mm-hmm. from those anatomical areas that we talked about, and we 3D printed it, painted it, so now you can actually see what this disease affects. So now you have a more of a tactile experience and a more of a Again, that was our first foray into mixing physical with digital, right? And really okay. creating an experience out of it. Yeah. So that one, that one is a special one that I always remember. I have, I have many more examples now if you talk about it, but I'll pause there. And Have you seen a, a shift between the importance of architecture versus the experiential part of it uh, in your days of, of doing this? Oh, I mean, yeah. and, and where do you see it going future-wise? Yeah, I think it's a great point. Um, I think we've always thought about physical and digital go hand in hand, even though we are in the digital end of it. So, I mean, I have personally a love for architecture and art in general and sort of the physicality of, of being an environment and sort of the emotional experience that's something that like that brings out in you right yeah so i think um uh, a great example and speaking sort of like you know when we started the conversation about international exhibits and such uh was the the world expo that just happened in dubai and you know because of covid obviously it was postponed it was uh, you know was uh, planned to be in 2020 but then it uh, started in 2021 i think it just finished in march of this year and i think so yeah the architecture back to your point was an incredible point of i felt like some of the country exhibits or pavilions were that were architecturally sound and the physical space both from the interior and exterior was well put together it truly complemented the digital aspects or the digital experiences inside. So it was, for lack of better words, it was beautiful from outside and inside and vice versa, right? Mm. And I think, you know, it is in our business as well, right? In our world, in our industry. Yeah, we try to blend those two together. You need both. Definitely. And focus solely on one or the other is not really sufficient. So you do need both. That means that the designers or the creative people involved in the planning and the strategy and all that need to understand and appreciate fully the benefit that both bring. And of course, we've just come through COVID. People are happy to be back face to face and all that. So I think we have a renewed appreciation for the physicality side of it, for being in person to see people in real life, you know, all that. But we also have a renewed appreciation for the limits and the capabilities of the technology we have currently. And uh, so maybe we'll dive a little bit into the, the meta stuff and the metaverse and all that. For those people that don't know much about what that is, where are we headed? Oh, on the metaverse uh, sense yeah. of things? Oh, wow. Yeah, that's, uh, that's really exciting. Well, f- for my perspective, who, who's been building virtual worlds for 22 plus years, <laughs> you know, first one being one of the ones that we did for TV Guide, um, I think we're just at the precipice of even more amazing things, right? I 
tell a lot of our friends and colleagues that I think this is start of where we had computing was becoming mobile, right? Yeah. So if you remember before, uh, we had smartphones and and uh, cell phones were, you know, or what they call them back then, cell phones, not, they were not smart in any shape or form. They were bricks, right? Yeah. Where I think at that age, or even if you think about just the evolution of internet, it, this is the dial-up period of, or AOL for some of the audience of America Online, if you remember your dial-up modem and the it was on floppy diskettes and then it was CD-ROMs. We're at that stage of what VR is right now and immersive. Uh, I think where we're truly headed is the matrix hmm. or ready player one world. And not in the dystopian sense, but in terms of technology and the impact, right? Uh, I certainly hope and pray that we are building better worlds to help humanity in terms of education and healthcare and environment and all those things uh, certainly uh, is, is a great medium to help achieve some of or increase the awareness for the world. But I think that the technology is here to stay and will become more transparent in a sense that it is not going to be a bulky headset that you would wear, uh, it will become as light and portable as your, your reading glasses or your sunglasses and at some point might be contact lenses or who knows what yeah. human ingenuity or even could be a molecular implant that would allow light and high level uh, you know, signals to get processed in your eye and generate imagery. I mean, that's my vision of it at some point. And the real world will be augmented just today's world, you think about digital maps and, and how we do pathfinding and how we get around to even looking at, uh, you know, advertising or different signage, digital signage that you see in freeways and, and in buildings and in bus stops and so on. It will be so incredibly integrated into how we view the world, right? And and there's some funny ones in the YouTube. You've seen how people have imagined this, where it's like information overload, and it's just like every advertising is coming. I hope it doesn't come to that level. But I think the ultimate idea is to give the user the ability to turn things on and off of what they're interested in in the metaverse, right? Yeah. You're interested in, you know, you're in Barcelona, back to our favorite city, and you're looking at where do I find a great place to get tapas? Yes, thank you. For the good word, that <laughs> I wondered yeah. if that's where you're going. <laughs> My yeah, brain was tapas. right going there for it. Yeah, exactly. And then, and all of a sudden, you see these 3D, you know, icons that appear with their ranking, just like as you would have looked them up on your mobile device, but they're right in front of you. And then you say, okay, that one, you know, I just point to it with my finger and tap it in the air. And that opens up, shows all the reviews, the menu. Uh, you can almost see it, feel it, taste it even and before you even go yeah. there, right? So it's going to be a very interesting world. And I think for us, we're just at that, that level. And uh, William Gibson, which is, you know, is a famous science fiction writer, wrote this. Some of you guys might already know, Cyberspace was coined by William Gibson in mm. his Neuromancer and a uh, number of other books. He said something like this. He said something that the, the advanced technologies here today is just not widely deployed and accepted, yeah. right? So, so a lot of the fundamentals are all here today and the breakthroughs or the sort of the acceptance is, is coming. Yeah. yeah. Sorry for that. That's cool. It's an area no, that I'm I, really super excited about. No, I know. That's a passion for you. couple more questions. So one is... 
Do you generally work directly with clients or do you get brought in through creative agencies, advertising agencies or creative directors? Where does it mostly come from? Yeah, it's a good mix. Definitely, we do work directly with the brands and the customers as well, but we also have partnership and great you know, amount of work also comes through partners like yourselves and, and colleagues like yourselves and through their agencies and companies. And uh, so I think it's a healthy mix. At the end, the end client's objective is the most important thing is what creating great work for them mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, you know, strengthening the partnerships and really, you know, doing, putting our best foot forward to create the best possible outcome for them. So you guys are very much cutting edge, leading huge reputation in the industry. What makes you, you different and unique from other people that are trying to get into that space or doing things in that space? Like, what is it that's so different about you guys? I think it's the quality of work and quality of our team. I think being in Los Angeles, obviously, and, you know, in Hollywood, and we, you know, get to really bringing some amazing, talented team members who, you know, work on feature film and visual effects and animation come from that background or video games, uh, AAA titles in video games and really trying to make the best product for the customer. Um, and I think part of the, the second part is customer service. I think we're proud of that. We're trying to go always above and beyond uh, for our customers. Um, and I think the third probably is the speed. I think mm-hmm. we're, we're, we're quick. We yeah. respond quickly. We're agile. We're not a huge studio where things, you know, have to go through a certain degree of scrutiny and, and such to, to get, get produced and get created. So I think we can respond pretty quickly to what customers needs us. And we know in the, even at trade show business, that's really important. Yes. You know, oh yeah. We're, sure we're, is for we're a client to call you three weeks before a show. It's like, what can we do? What can we put on this led wall? And yeah. then you have, we have to all come up with a solution, right? Yeah. Especially these days, it's faster and faster. Yeah. But thank you for asking that question. Appreciate that. Yeah. Well, you guys do amazing work. And uh, so we, we have worked with you a number of times and, and seen your work for years before that. I appreciate that. Thank you. Our team does. They deserve the credit. I know you have a really unique, interesting background and you have a lot of interests. How did you get into this in the first place? Oh, that's a, that's, that's a fun one. I, uh, well, you know, I, I guess it sort of comes from my love for film and entertainment industry, you know, particularly film and visual effects and animation and video games. And my dad and I used to go and watch movies since I was like eight years old. And to the movie theaters and mm-hmm. and uh so that love of film and and storytelling was sort of like embedded and also grew up in a family of artists you know my sister and my brother and my mom they all painted and did calligraphy and then just generated amazing art and to this day they still do then i also had a love for science and engineering so i was just yeah. been a science nerd like reading every science magazine at the time and i was growing up and you were a nerd when it wasn't cool to be uh, one yeah, totally yeah <laughs> i admit to that <laughs> i still struggle with that because my family my kids called me a nerd and i'm like yeah but i it, it really yeah. makes my hair stand up on the back of my neck because <laughs> people called me that when I was a kid and I felt terrible for it. So yeah. now my own kids call me that. Oh, like, I love it. That's an honor now. Like it's like, hey, I know it's... I'm trying to still deal with it, but sure. I need counseling for that. Um, no kidding. Anyway. Well, PTSD from those days. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, but so it, um, but then, you know, so I took my formal studies in engineering, you know, I did yeah. undergraduate work and then, then graduate, went to graduate school in engineering, biomedical engineering. And, but you know, what was interesting was that during all those years, um, unfortunately 
And again, this was just at the start of the internet, right? And not even once that I can recall, a professor brought anything visual, media-wise, or interesting to help us facilitate learning. Mm. And it almost became a mission statement when we started the company that this is a problem we're set to solve, right? Where, yeah. And again, today's world is every industry is technologically becoming more intertwined and complex, right? So our, our mission from the beginning was to really help companies who have complex science and technology tell their story using combination of art and technology. And mm. then, so that's how I got started in the business. So. Yeah. You know, our first clients were in a very unsexy semiconductor industry, semiconductor capital equipment manufacturing, where they were showing chemical mechanical planarization. And <laughs> we brought that, you know, in a very visual, very cool animated sort of a fantastic voyage. Again, one of my f other favorite movies of childhood. It's a 70s movie, actually, with Raquel Welsh. And where you kind of zoom in and go inside of the human body. Oh, yeah, yes. You know, I think and, I remember and then there was that. inner space in the 80s. And then, then yeah. obviously, Ant-Man with Marvel and... yeah just recently that brought that to life in a whole other level but but yeah so that's how i got into it it was really a yeah. combination of love for the sciences and combination of love about storytelling and the cool. kind of a creative approach on both ends so it's been fun yeah you're a very interesting person and you have a lot of thank really you. neat interests you're very kind Thank you for saying uh, that. So if people want to get in touch with you, what would be the best way? Yeah, absolutely. LinkedIn is wonderful. Uh, I'm pretty active, I think, on, from all social media. I think LinkedIn is one of the ones I use the most. And uh, Twitter, a little bit less, less so. Uh, obviously, our website also has our contact information as well. Enhance with an I, I-N-H-A-N-C-E.com. Okay, good. Mozzie, it's been a pleasure talking to you today, and I appreciate you sharing uh, all these insights with our audience, and thank you for being here with us. Uh, Jeff, thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure and honor to speak with you, and thank you for the interview. Thank you so much. Thanks. We like to remind people that all business is conducted within the context of culture, so each episode provides insights to help marketers understand the cultures they're trying to reach and strategies for building bridges across cultural divides. If you like the Global Exhibitor podcast, please share it with others, subscribe to it, and rate it. We greatly appreciate the feedback. Please also check out our website and blog at globalexhibitor.com. And finally, if you or someone you know would make an interesting guest on this podcast, please let us know by sending an email to guest at globalexhibitor.com. And until next time, thank you for listening.